0: Hi, how are you going? Ooh, that's pretty cool. Hey, look, we've got a lot of verses to look at tonight, and uh, it's going to be—you're going to get carpal tunnel uh, syndrome by in your hands. So look, why don't we prepare? It's Olympics time, so why don't we stand up and uh, maybe twirl around, do whatever you need to do to warm up. Maybe massage your friend's uh, shoulders. Maybe slap each other in the uh, the cheeks. Jump up and down the squat. Touch your toes. Okay. All right, thank you guys. We're ready. Okay, we have a great opportunity tonight to really dive deeply into God's Word. Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 15, you shall not steal. Now, first, this seems straightforward. If anything's not yours, don't take it. Uh, we've, we learnt that back in kindergarten with toys. So we've got that sort of, don't take something that doesn't belong to us, do not steal. But as we found with the Ten Commandments, there's always something deeper, something um, bigger that's going on just beneath the surface of the Ten Commandments. So tonight I want to start with, what is the thing that is deeper? That is, what is the command, you shall not steal? What is it pointing to? What is the reality that is going on here beneath the surface of this commandment? So let's start there. And that is that all the commandments, all of them, are based on something that God has built into us as human beings, that we're made in God's image, that that he's made us in a certain way. Last week we talked about sex, we talked about do not commit adultery. And God has made us as sexual beings, he's made us to be naked and to be so delighted in and so completely committed to. And he gave us this so that we would find (coughs) fulfilment. So to misuse sex really demeans us as human beings. In the same way, with this command, you shall not steal, uh, it must mean that God, just as God made us sexual beings, God has also made us beings who are to have and to care for things. So to steal, uh, to take away someone's things, someone's property, Something that they've worked for, that they've worked hard to earn, that is there by rights, to take that from them in some way detracts from our humanity. It depersonalises us. And this must mean that having things and caring for things is part of what makes us feel human. Back in Genesis chapter 1, God made Adam and Eve for each other and as a result they have this deep desire for sex. But also, in Genesis 1, God made us as human beings to care for the earth. We were created as the caretakers of creation. We were given the garden and told, Cultivate it, it's yours. It's yours. So to have and to care for material things is essential to us as human beings. It's one of the reasons we are created. Now what does that mean? Well, it explains a lot of things. It explains why extreme prison when someone is stripped of all their belongings and everything's taken from them, except perhaps a toothbrush and a a comb or something, prison is one of the most demeaning, dehumanising experiences that we can go through. This explains why extreme socialism or extreme communism has failed. Because when we're completely stripped of owning anything it depersonalises us as human beings. We lose our dignity. We lose our sense of responsibility. This explains why the best way to help the poor is not just to give handouts of food, but also to provide home ownership. Ownership is important for people. Who's been robbed? Who's been mugged? Who's had their car stolen? Yeah. This explains why to be robbed, we feel so violated. Somehow our personhood is being trampled on. It's not just, oh, well, c'est la vie. This explains why in many cases, buying ourselves new things gives us so much pleasure and builds us up in profound ways that we don't like to admit because it doesn't (laughs) sound spiritual, and yet it is, because the fact is that we were made and we were designed to have and to care for things. And we get a sense of significance from that, a sense of worth to a great degree from having and caring for things. And of course, our significance ultimately is in Jesus Christ. But he will bring us back into our right relationship with things and with the whole creation. And we will inherit the whole creation one day. It will all be ours. So we were created for that. So to have things, ownership of things, to care for things, to be caretakers, is essential to our humanity. So the first thing to realise is that you shall not steal assumes that there is something that God has built into us as people, our need to have and to take care of things. And stealing, therefore, is trampling on the caretaker rights of another human being. If I go out and I earn money and I buy a car and then that car is taken from me, it's stolen, well that, that means that a part of the world that God has given to me to care for Has been taken, has been robbed from me. And if someone breaks and enters your house and steals something precious of yours, that means that something that God has given you to take care of has been taken. And that is a violating experience. So, do not steal is about protecting caretaker rights, essentially. We're supposed to have and to care for things, and we're supposed to protect. The rights of others and their rights to have and take care of things. Their take care, uh, caretaker rights. Alright, so, what does this mean for Israel? What did this mean for the people of God back then? And what does it mean for us? What does it look like to protect each other's caretaker rights? To not steal from each other? What is our attitude to possessions? How does that all work? in Israel, in the community of God. Well, I want to just get a window into that and really spend a lot of time, we're going to look at a lot of verses, and really pad out what are the actual issues for the people of God that are dealt with back in the Old Testament, then through to the New Testament. And therefore, how are we to live with this command, do not steal? Okay, let's go. So, Deuteronomy 8, if you want to turn there and flick through with me, that's great. If not, that's great too. The first thing to realise is everything we have is a gift and people will say, hey, but I earned so hard to get my stuff and I sweated to get that stuff. But look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and this is foundational for our understanding. Everything now will be based on this point and the way the Bible takes it is from here. Deuteronomy 8 verse 10 When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the, land, the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I am giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your flocks and herds grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied—notice, you know there's nothing wrong with flocks growing large, settling down, having herds, silver and gold. Nothing wrong with having everything you have multiplied. That's Genesis one. That's go forth and multiply, be fruitful. So nothing wrong with that, unless verse fourteen. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And verse 17, And you may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who has given you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. So this passage says that when someone says, Well, it's by the sweat of my brow that I have made all that I have. It's mine because I've sweated. Well, this passage says, but who gave you the sweat of your brow? Who provided your abilities? Who gave you the opportunities educationally and in other ways? So this is saying whether we've worked by the sweat of our brows or whether things have just simply been given to us by others, the scriptures say it is God's gift. So when we talk about stealing and taking what isn't ours, we need to understand that what is ours and what is yours is ultimately a gift of God. It's all from him. He has given everything that we have. Okay, now let's turn to Deuteronomy 14. This is speaking to the Israelites, so not directly to us, so we'll, but we'll pull out some principles as we go. So Deuteronomy 14, verse 28. Again, this is part of the law that God gave Israel The Ten Commandments are at the centre of this, but these are some of the other laws that explain and unpack. So, Deuteronomy 14, verse 28, At the end of every three years, bring all of the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns, so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, the priests, and the foreigners, which means the refugees or displaced people who have come into your community, so that the foreigners, the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Okay, so God says every three years collect a bunch of stuff, a bunch of extra food and store it and then those who have gone through tragedy or calamity or who are foreigners who have wandered into your midst and they want to be part of you but they have nothing. Collect this so that you can share your bounty with them. Do this so that you'll be able to provide for those people. And God says, do this so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. So somehow the work of their hands, their effort, their study, their labour, their work, was more blessed when they gave it away when they shared what they earned with those who had been hit by tragedy and didn't have enough. Then chapter 15, verse 1. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. And everybody said? Amen. Visa, just send uh, the Bible with this verse uh, circle to Visa. No worries. At the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. What an amazing thing. This is how it is to be done. Every creditor shall cancel any loan they have made to a fellow Israelite. Verse 6, For the Lord God will bless you as he has promised, and you will lend to many nations but borrow from none. So at the end of every seven years, they were to set anybody free who had amassed debt. And then notice verse 7, If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. I'd call this helping someone when they're down. What happens is, our tendency is that when a person is down, human nature is to exploit that and use that against them so that I can accumulate more at their expense. How many of you have been in a spiral of debt? <laughs> hey, we're a pretty cool group. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. Um, but you know, when debt gets less and less, and suddenly we're borrowing money to pay for something else and getting more interest over here, and it's just a spiral that goes down and down and it gets out of control. And people lose, can lose everything. And so, this is God's understanding that this happens. People get into terrible debt and can't get out. So, to give the poor and those who found themselves in this predicament a chance to start again, I guess we could say protect their caretaker rights. Make sure they still have a piece of the pie. Give them a fresh start. Make sure everyone gets a share in the inheritance of Israel. That the wealth is common to everyone. Share it. And pull people up when they are really down and out. So built into the law... I wonder if you could turn that urn uh, off, maybe. just uh, Just the noise. So built into the law are all these fascinating little regulations... Don't let a brother or a sister have everything stripped from them. So this, this is not against accumulating. This is not against having nice stuff. It's not against working. It's not saying that people can just cruise along and others will keep bailing them out forever. The issue is keeping a brother or a sister in the game, protecting their caretaker rights. Because when people lose everything, when they have nothing, they lose their dignity. It's a profound thing that happens to people. It is dehumanising. So he says, bring your surplus so that you can feed those who do not have enough, the foreigners, the fatherless, the widow, the Levite. Then he says, every seven years, cancel all debts to give people a fresh start. And then when somebody is down, don't be tight-fisted. Be open-handed. Help them back into the share of wealth. So now turn with me to the book of Leviticus, chapter 19. Now this is never built around just give everyone a free ride. It's not saying that. So Leviticus nineteen verse nine is a classic example of making sure that people have a part to play and share in the work. Leviticus nineteen nine When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. But oh, by the way, I am the Lord your God. In case you're wondering whether to do this or not, I am the Lord your God. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. So the natural thing to do when reaping a harvest is when grain is dropped and left behind, or when grapes are dropped, the natural thing for a farmer to do would be to go back and collect that a second time. It makes sure that he brings in the whole crop. God says no. Allow those who are poor and foreign to wander in among you, and let them do the labor of picking that up. In that way, you will share your bounty with those who don't have enough. Now turn to Leviticus twenty-five thirty-five. over a few pages. Leviticus twenty-five thirty-five. I told you there are going to be a lot of verses here. If one of your fellow Israelites, Leviticus twenty-five thirty-five. If one of your, and again, it's it's your fellow Israelites we're talking about here. If they become poor and they are unable to support themselves among you, that's what's so important, help them as you would a foreigner or a stranger so they can continue to live among you. Do not take interest or any profit from them, but fear your God so that they may continue to live among you. You must not lend them money at interest or sell them food at a profit. By the way, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt and gave you, and once again the idea of gifting, and gave you the land of Canaan to be your, and to be your God. So I'd say there are two basic principles that we can extract from this so far. Number one, things that matter to God. Apparently to God, everyone having their needs met matters a huge, huge, huge amount in the community of God. It's so important to God. The person we may have forgotten, the person we may not notice, the refugee, the person who's just turned up from somewhere we don't know where, Everyone among you should have their needs met and have a share in the wealth of the community. Are there poor and refugees among you? Then give to them. Give to them. And this comes up again and again and again. It's almost like God keeps reminding them, by the way, I'm God. I brought you up out of slavery. I gave you this land. I gave you everything that you have. So be like me. I've given everything to you. You give to others. By the way, if you don't give to others, then I may bless the work of your hands less. So God says, somehow I'll make your crops huge and amazing if you keep passing that on, if you keep being generous with that. I will keep blessing you and blessing you and blessing you. But if you get tight-fisted, this will affect not just you, but the ones who will not benefit from the giving. So this is something God brings up. Everybody having their needs met, is at the core of the heart of God. Secondly, number two, what seems to be so huge in the heart of God is that nobody loses their caretaker rights. Nobody loses their place in the community. Nobody goes under. Everyone has a piece of the pie. Everyone shares by having possessions to care for. So the Scriptures never condemn accumulation. There's never a case where God says, look at your house, it's just ridiculously big repent. No. We don't have that in the scripture. But we do have, look at your house. It's ridiculously big, given that you have exploited the poor next door who have nothing. And you've done nothing to help them. And God gets furious. This is so and so important to God. Now turn to the book of Malachi. The Italian prophet Malachi. The book of Malachi. Malachi uh, talks about stealing. In the context of everything we've said, Malachi calls it stealing. And this was quite a shock for me. I did not, I was not expecting this as I went through this in the Bible. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. Go to the New Testament, then go left. Malachi 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors you've turned away from my decrees and not kept them. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? So God says, you're stealing from me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse. Your whole nation because you are robbing me. Now bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there'll be enough, there won't be enough room in the storehouses. And then notice verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food enough for my house. Now this is a reference to the passage we just looked at in Deuteronomy 14 where they were to bring their tithes and bring them into the storehouse and the foreigner, the poor, the fatherless, the the, the Levite and the widow could eat. And when God says there must be food in my house, is God hungry here? Is God saying I just love a good burger? (laughs) What's the food for? Why does God need food in his house? It's for the poor, the fatherless and the widow. And God says, you have not given to those who are hungry. And because you haven't given your surplus to those who don't have, you have stolen from me. So God so identifies with the poor, the foreigner, the hungry, the fatherless and the widow, that to withhold and not give to them, God takes it personally and says, you've stolen from me. You have robbed me. This is how he describes their rebellion. There are people around you, they're hungry, they're amongst you, they're your neighbours, they have needs, and you have not done what you need to do about it. And so you have stolen from me. It's all from me. And I gave it to you so that you could give it to them. And you have not. So, stealing is taking what is not mine. Stealing is taking what does not belong to me. But in this passage, stealing is far larger. Stealing is withholding what I am obligated to give. God says to Israel, You have stolen. Can a person rob me? Yes. And you have robbed me in tithes and offerings for my storehouse. There's no food in my storehouse. How are the foreigners? How are the poor? How are the fatherless? How are the widows? And how are the Levites? How are they going to eat? You've taken from me. Because you've taken from those who are close to my heart. So stealing has this larger scope than I thought before I looked at this. God desires everybody to have their needs met and to share in the communities of wealth. And God desires that nobody get rich at the expense of others. And God says, you've stolen if you're withholding from the poor. You're stealing from them. So stealing is wrong-taking and we take something that belongs to someone else. The Stealing is also wrong. Keeping when we withhold what we ought to give to others, what God is given what God says we're obligated to give.
1: Now let's trace
0: this for a few more moments. Where else do we find it? Proverbs 3:27. Do not withhold good. Don't withhold good. This is the idea of stealing. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. God says they ought to have it, so it's due them. When it is in your power to act, and do not say to your neighbour, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you then, when you already have it with you. I love the phrase, when it is in your power to act. So I can't feed everybody in the world, but where do I have power to act? Where can I take action? This says, don't say to your neighbour, come back tomorrow. It doesn't talk about the poverty of the world, it's your neighbour here. It's your, if your neighbour needs something, then don't say to them, come back later. Give it right away. You have it, so give it. They're your neighbour do not withhold good from those around you, from your community, those who've come into your community. Turn with me to chapter 11. Oh, it actually is up here. Um, yeah. This is so hard-hitting. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, once again the idea of stealing. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. So according to this proverb, a person may be wealthy because they keep giving it away. And apparently God says, this person, the more I give to them, the more I give away, this is the kind of person I want to give to. And I'll keep giving to I want to do business with this person because I just keep giving them more and more and more and more and they just keep giving away more and more and more. And they look unbelievably wealthy, and they are, but actually they're giving an amazing amount constantly away to others. They're giving it faster than anybody is realising. God says, yeah, that's what I want from Israel. Another person may be poor and going through financial stress and perhaps, this is a proverb, this is not absolute law, but perhaps, maybe, they might be going through what they're going through because they're tight-fisted. So the proverb raises that issue with us. Is it because we're withholding? Is that why things are not we're not experiencing the blessing of God? Proverbs 22, verse 22, Do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court For the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. When you exploit the poor and crush the needy, God will take up their case. One translation says, God will plunder those who plunder them. You plunder them, you rip them off, God's going to come after you. I will take up their case. You get rich out of someone's hardship and poverty, I will come after you. Okay, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And we're going to keep going here if you can persevere with me. Uh, Look, this really hits hard. Isaiah chapter 1. (sighs) Maybe this will make us feel better. No, it won't. (laughs) Uh, The people of God have been coming to the temple. You know, they've been offering the sacrifices. They've been doing the temple rituals. They've been singing the right songs. And they've been attending the proper feasts mandated by the law. They've been... chanting the right psalms. They've been giving the right attention to the right doctrine. These are good religious people. And in Isaiah 1 verse 10, Isaiah says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. So right away he refers to them as Sodom and Gomorrah. So you know it's not looking good for them from here on out. You know those guys that I rain sulfur and fire onto? That's you now. The multitude of your sacrifices, their religious rituals. What are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings of rams and of the fat of fattened animals. I've got no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths and convocations, these would be festivals they had, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing what is wrong and learn to do what is right. Now the question is, what has got God so worked up? Why is he so angry with his people? Verse 17, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. So what is God so angry about? They haven't sought justice, they haven't defended the cause of the the, the weak, the fatherless, the widow. What are the words God uses here? Their assemblies are worthless detestable to me. My soul hates them. They have become a burden to me. And then we find out why is that the case. It's because all the right rituals, all the right songs, the right times, the right feasts, the right sacrifices, the right liturgies, and yet there are people around them that they are not caring for. They are not meeting the needs of the oppressed, the fatherless, the widows, the poor. The ones who are getting kicked down by the system they are not caring about, you. and they don't have a heart for the broken and needy and distressed. Strong, isn't it? I hate your gatherings. And once again, we can't just simply say that's us. We have to ask better questions. It's really saying, well, wow, that, that just shows the heart of God. Your rituals and your coming to services and your gatherings and your festivals. I mean nothing if you do not care for your neighbour and for those around you and for those who come into your midst. The everyday mercy shown to those in our immediate vicinity. It breaks God's heart. My soul hates it. Now, we feel really good. Let's keep going. And uh, look at Luke chapter 3. Uh, and we're going to keep going, guys. I'm sorry. I warned you. Um, a few more. If you're taking notes, this is the point where now we go into the New Testament. So we see how the Old Testament is taken up by the New Testament. Luke chapter 3. When the Jesus movement explodes, Jesus arrives on the scene. And it follows right in line with everything that has been said. Isaiah and Malachi, these prophets who came along and said, God hates what you're doing, Israel. Return, repent. You must use your wealth as God requires you to. It's not right. All those prophets who said that, well, when the Jesus movement comes on the scene, it follows right in line with what God has been saying through all of the prophets. And then a man named John the Baptiser comes and he announces something huge is coming, kingdom of God. And everything God said he would do is going to now happen. And a crowd comes in verse 10, Luke chapter 3. The question to John is, when they hear that something huge is going to explode in the world, their question is, what should we do then? And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. So John takes Proverbs, he takes Malachi, he takes Isaiah, he takes the Eighth Commandment, and he says, I'll tell you what this movement is like. The one who has two should give to the person who has none. Food, the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptised. Teacher, what shall we do? Verse 12, don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. What's he say? Don't steal. Verse 14, then, some soldiers asked him, then what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pain. So when John is asked, tell us about this Jesus movement. What's it like? His response is... If you have two and somebody has none, give it to them. And if you're stealing, stop. And if you're extorting money, which means you're using your position, your power to rip others off, don't. Of all the things that could have been said, this is what John says. This Jesus movement is the kind of movement where the people of God are aware of each other's needs. And Jesus has all sorts of things to say about this as we know. And then let's skip to Acts 2, a couple more. Jesus walks, he teaches, he dies on the cross, he rises from the dead, he speaks to his followers about making more followers then ascends to heaven. So the book of Acts starts with this new Jesus movement, starts talking about what it means to believe in Jesus and follow Jesus and receive forgiveness and the Spirit. What does that look like in our actual lives? Notice what Luke says, Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and miraculous signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Wow. (laughs) Wow. In other words, they did everything that we've been talking about. Right through the whole of the history of Israel, this is not a new idea. They gave to anyone who had need. Then turn lastly to Acts chapter four, verse thirty-four. Acts two mentions selling property and possessions, but notice chapter four, thirty-four: there were no needy persons among them. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So in chapter 2 they're selling property and possessions, now in chapter 4 they're selling houses and land. So it's almost like you sold your car, I sell two cars, or you sold your little shack, I'm going to sell my big shack. Uh, so it's like progression. Let's get even more generous from chapter 2 to chapter 4. And it's really, wait, People have need. I don't need this stuff. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to give it to them. They need it. And Luke even goes so far as to say, and I don't know how literal he's being here or whether he's just being emphatic about how central this really is. He's saying, in their midst, there weren't people who had needs. Because they were aware of each other, there was so much love, and they were so serious about everything they had learnt from their history. Now we get to do that in the power of the Spirit, in the power of Jesus' death, now that Christ has come. We're actually going to now do it. This is the new dawning. All that God had promised and said that we ought to do, now is going to come true. And we want to be part of that. And so they radically acted and sold houses, they sold fields, they sold possessions and distributed to those in need. And they shared all things in common. Both those things are from the Old Testament. So one of the defining things of Christianity is thou shalt not steal. And that means not only that we don't take from others, but that we don't withhold what is their due. We don't withhold what we are obligated to give. They need a roof? I can help with that, so I will. I've got plenty of coats. Uh, They don't have a coat and it's cold, so I'll give them a coat. This is what it means to be in the kingdom of God. So this directly relates to us. Share your stuff. (laughs) Look around you. Think of your neighbour. Think of those who are coming into our live groups, on the fringe of our community. What are their needs? Can we be radical in our movement to care for those needs? So just closing with three points. There's a whole death behind this command, you shall not steal. There's a whole world if you check it out. Just a few points. We're created to take care of the world and we need to respect the caretaker rights of others. This has two aspects, wrong-taking and wrong-withholding. Secondly, we're given, so that, given to so that we can give to Sometimes people get so guilty when they hear a talk like this. Hey, I've got too much stuff. I'm ashamed of how rich I am. But that's never the point in scriptures. The issue always is, yeah, but what are you doing with all that wealth? Do you have any sense that we have actually been given the wealth in order to share with others? The scriptures seem to say over and over again, God gives to us so that we can give to others, and apparently the two are related. The more we give, the more he may give. The less we give, the less we may give. This has got to do with how God has set set the world up in Genesis 1. We are the caretakers of creation. This is how it works. Use things generously and don't take things from others. Or in technical language, blessing in the Bible is always instrumental. God always blesses his people so that they can be an instrument to bless others. It's always so that I can take what I've been given and pass it on, and enjoy it myself, but pass it on. Maybe we could change the word blessing to predestined or chosen, um, or elected. You know. Nobody is ever blessed, or elected, or chosen, or predestined, because God is nice and wants us to have a nice relationship with Him, full stop. Blessing is always, election is always, predestination is always, so that the world can be blessed through us. God always calls his people so that they can be a blessing to the world. It's never just so that I can feel good and nice. And we've been given so much and we have been given that expressly for the reason that we might share it with others. Thirdly, John the Baptist's words seem to me to really punch home the practicality here. The one with two tunics or shirts should share with the one who has none. The one with two should share. Uh, and this helps me a great deal. Again, I immediately think I want to feed the multitudes overseas and take responsibility for everyone in, in the world who is poor. I immediately feel like I should get on a plane and you know, try and help someone somewhere else in some other place. Anyone else have that impulse? Let's solve the whole world's problems all in one hit. You know, I want my life to be a world vision film. Um, But John isn't quite saying that, and of course that's going to be part of it, because we do have so much wealth. We can actually do something about the wider scene. But John is actually framing it in terms of your neighbour. What do I have two of that I could share with my neighbour? Let's get very practical. What do you have two of? (laughs) What do you have lots of? Shirts? Yeah? Um... In your wardrobe, how many clothes have you got that you haven't worn for a year? And let's be honest, are you ever going to wear them again? Are you ever going to be that size again? (laughs) That's what I do, I save it up and I'm thinking, I'm going to be able to wear it again, I'm going to be able to wear it again. Ten years later, it's still not that size. And look, let's be realistic, your kids are just going to wear it at 90s day at school and laugh because it's so out of fashion anyway. So maybe we should just load up our cars and there are plenty of places we have in our society to take that stuff. But particularly think, who are your neighbours? Who are the people around you? Who are the people who are coming into your life group? And I know many of you are doing this. But this is where it comes from. Those who have two or more should share with those who have none. And of course, it's not ours. Simplistically, is it? It's God's gift to us. Really, it's his. I mean, he gave it to us to take care of it. And that means to pass it on. That means to pass it on. In other words, let's live this beautiful missional revolutionary life that Jesus calls us to. A life that is all about showing Jesus to the world, that he indeed did raise, rise from the dead, and that he is transforming the world, and that the world is really being turned upside down, and that there are people who are really living it, let's show the world by the radical lives that we live amongst them. Wouldn't it be great if the people around us were constantly saying, like that guy did in Turkey, if they were constantly saying, hey, you guys, you really care for each other. Nobody goes without in your group. It's amazing how you so quickly act to help each other. And it's amazing that anybody, any person who comes anywhere near you, you are so quick and so generous to help them. God says, don't steal. And in Israel, one of the big themes of that is share your stuff. Don't keep your stuff. Give it away. And God says, if you don't, I might just come and plunder you. I not just come and plunder you.